Hey, Colleen. Hey, Hannah. So, this is between a rock and a hard place, although it kind of looks like a storage closet. But seriously, we're here to talk about life in Iraq. Right. So, we have a special guest today. A very special guest. It's me! Welcome to the podcast, Hannah. Thank you. It's my joy and pleasure to be here. If you don't mind, would you introduce yourself for our listeners? I'd prefer to remain anonymous. <laughs> oh. Oh, wait. It's too late for that. I think so. So, we're interviewing you today. Or rather, I guess I'm interviewing you today. Yeah, it'd be hard to interview myself. That would be a, a weird conversation. I mean, it's not too unlike other conversations we've had. It's true. But... Let's not get into that. <laughs> we're going to talk about your recent trip. So, where did you go? Well, I drove from Nashville to Atlanta, which was probably the least exciting part of my trip, because I then got on a plane, and I flew to Istanbul, Turkey, and then on to Thessaloniki in Greece, and drove about an hour. I can't ever remember directions. I want to say it's north, because it felt northward, but I feel (laughs) like that's probably wrong. Um, But we drove about an hour out of Thessaloniki to Katerini um, and visited with some of our national staff there. And when I say we, John, our director, also went. Really, it was his trip and I tagged along, so we should say that I went with him, but we're going to make this all about me. All right. Yeah, I'm good with that. Um, So we spent a couple days in Katerini, which was amazing and wonderful and beautiful. Um, Back to Thessaloniki, Got on a plane, flew back to Istanbul, and then flew into uh, Suleimania, Kurdistan, uh, which was the first time I'd ever flown into Suli. Isn't it a cute little airport? Sure. Cute's a word you could use for it. (laughs) I was glad that I had a limited amount of time that I had to spend in that airport. Yeah. Let me put it that way. It's certainly not as posh as Erbil's airport. No, it's like an old army airplane hangar that they converted into an airport. Yeah, probably. Never really thought about it that way. It was very warm and people-y. Mm, yes. Yeah, so we spent a day in Suli, so I didn't get to see much. Mm-hmm. Um, and then went on to Erbil and Hook, and then back to Istanbul, and then back to Atlanta, and then back to Nashville. So how long was that whole trip? How long I was gone? gone 20 days, I think, about, approximately. Oof. 15 of those days in international travel. I lose track of how many days because time is weird when you're traveling. And time zones. Yes. And yes. going one direction, you get more time. and the other direction, you get less yes. time. And-, and we were gone during the daylight saving switch. <laughs> and so I feel like something weird happened with time there, too. It was wibbly-wobbly. There you go. But yeah, it was 15 or 16 days. So what was your purpose in this trip? Um, in the Greece portion, we were just going to encourage and meet with and kind of check out what's going on uh, in Katerini and encourage our national partners there. And that was kind of also what we're doing in Kurdistan as well with our teammates that are there. We have teams in all three cities, so we visited all three of them. Um, but then we also kind of got to do this cool thing where we brought a young married couple that are interested in going to Kurdistan uh, as teachers with servant group. 
and kind of did like a vision trip, showed them around what life would be like for them if they were there. So that was kind of cool. And then, you know, also visiting friends and students. Did you find a lot of your your former friends and or current friends, even friends and students there in, in the hook or Erbil, both? Um, I mean, there are people who are like there permanently. Mm-hmm. Um, most of my students at this point are in college. Um, most of the teachers that I taught with in Hook have moved on either to other jobs or moved out of the country. It was also like their spring break time, their now rose break. Right. So everybody was kind of scattered to the four winds anyway. So I got to hang out with two of my students for a couple of days and see one other one and some of my other friends. None of the expat people that I knew when I was living there are still there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't a priority to me to try and catch up with those people anyway. But yeah, it's a whole new whole group. Group of foreigners. Yeah. I mean, there maybe was one person there that I knew when I had lived there. Which is kind of exciting, but also a little bit like, oh, this is very different now. So what other things were different from when you lived there? Um, well, I learned that in Erbil now, you can get food delivered, like, to your house, (laughs) which, you know, was one of the things that I was, like, the most excited about moving back to the U.S., like, the miracle of food delivery. So that's very different. I guess they have street names and house numbers, or maybe it's only to apartment buildings. I don't know. Hmm. I'm -hmm. not sure how it works, but... Um, our teammates in Erbil were like, yeah, we order food in all the time. And I was just like, what kind of life is this? <laughs> it's become all posh and fancy. Yeah, for real. There definitely is, I mean, both Hook and Erbil, because I don't really know Suli, and mm-hmm. I didn't really spend much time there on this trip. Both Erbil and Hook are growing. Erbil, like, ridiculously fast. Hook a lot more slowly, which... I appreciate it because I was like, oh good, I still know where things are in the hook. So that's kind of different, the way that things are growing and changing. I feel like people's, I, I don't know how to verbalize this entirely, but like people's, the mood of the country is different than when I yeah, left. I would expect it to be because you left when ISIS was still a Around. big deal. Right. And now that ISIS is mostly defeated, you know. Mosul is back in Iraqi hands, I guess. People are a lot more celebratory, I guess. Mm, they're mm-hmm. they're a lot less... Morbid is not the right word, but kind of downcast and like, what is going to happen? Because there were quite a few years in there where Nowrose celebrations right. were really subdued because so many people were in mourning over right. lost family members or yeah. had people in the military that were off fighting. Yeah, my last year there, they didn't do Nowrose at all. The government said, we're not, nobody celebrate Nowrose this year. So to go from that to, like, there's almost like a, yay, the bad times are over, let's have so many good times kind of vibe that... Take advantage of it while it lasts. Right. I mean, we were also there during Nowrose, which is, like, the happiest time to be there. But yeah, people were a lot more friendly and open and cheerful, I guess, Uh is the best way to put it. Uh Um, And we were told that the government is finally going to start paying people again. Yes. (laughs) I saw that in the news. That makes everybody happy after years and years and years. years No pay. No pay. Yeah, those are some things that are different. I mean, Kurds are still Kurds, and... Mm -hmm. A lot of it is very much the same. And we were only there for a short time. Yeah. So 
there are probably other things that are different that it would have taken me some time to notice. You said that you were there during the best time. Right. Yes. What what things make it the best time? Um, so March, and I think we've talked about this before, that, like, March is when everything is green mm-hmm. in Kurdistan, because um, they have all the winter rains have come, well, <laughs> should have come, and it hasn't gotten blazing hot yet. So everything was just really lusciously, like, maybe the greenest that I have ever seen it. They had a lot of rain. Even and it's flooding to some extent, yeah, I've heard. yeah. And it's cool, the weather is really nice, um, and yeah, people are just kind of in the celebratory mood, mm-hmm. so everybody's kind of out and about and doing fun and special things. Did you uh, warn the, the new couple that this was not the way Kurdistan was always? Yes. I mean, they definitely were like, it's so green, we didn't expect it to be so green, and both John and I were like, well, it's not always this green. <laughs> Like, we did kind of bring you at the time of year where it's a little deceptive. I mean, it's always beautiful, but it's not always green. And we warned, we have a teammate who has decided to stay through the summer. And so we warned him as well, like, it's going to get real hot. Did you tell him about soaking his sheets? No, I don't think we gave him any how to survive the hot summer advice. He can listen to this podcast. We've (laughs) talked about it. I think our only advice was take at least two weeks and get out of the country and go somewhere else, like, mm-hmm. for your own mental health. Not to mention it's just stinking hot. It's hard to do anything with people and, like, actually right. engage with your community right. if everybody's just... Trying not to melt. Trying not to get heat exhaustion. So you mentioned food delivery. What kind of food is delivered? I We didn't order delivery while we were there. Like, okay. we didn't do that. I would assume, like, pizza and chicken. I don't know if you can get Kurdish food delivered or not. While we were in Erbil, we went to a really good Chinese restaurant. Really? Which I've heard there used to be a really good Chinese restaurant in Suli. I mean, really good was a stretch. Okay. That's, I've only heard the rumors. Um, this one was, was quite good. I'm sure good. the sweet and sour chicken was mostly made with ketchup. This one, there was no ketchup involved. Good. Um, it was quite good. It was even very kind of modern Chinese style inside. Mm. So you definitely did not feel like you were in Kurdistan. Wow. Um, and all the staff was Chinese and, you know, so it felt very authentic. And we had a lot of food. So that was probably the most unique dining experience that I had. Okay. Because I was just like, weird, Chinese food in Kurdistan. And it's actually, like, real good. We also did, like, typical Kurdish restaurants. Actually, we did, like, a fancy, like, real fancy Kurdish restaurant. Because we got invited there by someone else. I don't think John or I would have chosen it. Like, he and I both kind of like the old school Kurdish restaurants. (laughs) Um, which we did end up taking everybody to one of those. So I got to have makluba, mm, which is like go. my favorite. I don't think it's actually Kurdish. I think it's Arabic, mm. but it's just so good. It's like potatoes that are like cooked in the bottom of a pan with rice and chicken. And this had uh, eggplant, like fried eggplant and tomatoes. Mm. And then they turn it out so that you mm-hmm. have like the crispy potatoes on the top. Oh. Man, it's making me drool just thinking about it right now. It was the best <laughs> makluba that I have ever had in my life. It was so really good. Maybe making that for our next uh, food video here. Yeah. Ugh. 
yeah, I'm gonna have to try to recreate it for sure. But you know, and then you get the Bamiya and the Bringe and the... Everyone else got Tinka because they're boring. <laughs> <laughs> and Fatouche, which is like a really good salad. So really quick, what's, what's Bamiya? Bamiya, oh, Bamiya, is... <laughs> You must sound like you're going to start a poem there. start a poem about Bamiya. Oh, man. Uh, it is, like, kind of a tomato-y based soup with okra in it. And when I say tomato and okra soup, like, that does not sound good. But it is probably one of the best things. You did manage to convince someone else to try it, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, the couple that went with us were like, eh, that does not sound like it's tasty. And John and I both are like, oh no, but it's so good. Like, you, you have really to, have, you have to, to try it. it. And it was. It was really good. And you eat it over bringe or rice. So you're not, like, eating it as a soup necessarily. Mm -hmm. You're mm -hmm. kind of eating it as a sauce. But I wouldn't call it a sauce. Like, it's not thick. It's definitely right. soupy. Yeah. Um, it's also one of my favorite things. And then fatouche, I think I said, is is a salad, but it's not like a lettuce salad mm -hmm. they do like a bunch of different chopped vegetables with like a pomegranate vinegar and olive oil kind of dressing on it mm -hmm. and then they put like fried pita chips in it too so it's like really crisp and crunchy and very fresh and I think at that point I hadn't had fresh vegetables <laughs> in like days uh-huh <sighs> And I felt like I was in a restaurant where I could trust them enough that, like, all right, fresh veggies it is. Right. Because um, you just, when you're out in public with regular restaurant-y stuff, you just right. never know how well fresh vegetables have been washed or... In what they have been washed. In what they have been washed. And they had, like, watermelon radishes. Have you seen those? Mm -hmm. That are, like, pink in the middle, and then they have a little white, and then they're green on the outside. Huh. They're really good. Ooh. I think that's the first time I've ever had watermelon radishes, actually. So I felt very posh. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, the typical hummus and bread, and it was good. I think I saw some photos of you also getting ice cream. Oh, man. <laughs> yes. Okay. I apparently am a person who travels for the food, because those tend to be the things I remember the most. Um, yeah, we went to this place called Abu Afif in Erbil, um, and I think it's actually, I think it's Lebanese. Mm -hmm. They make 40 different kinds of ice cream, but it's not like Baskin-Robbins, 40 different flavors of vanilla and chocolate. Like, each one is its own beautiful, amazing work of art. So they had some weird stuff, like you could get um, which this isn't weird, but you could get Ferrero Rocher. They had Snickers, mango, which was mm. pretty good, um, and not like mango sorbet, like mango ice cream. Yep, uh, pistachio, which is universal there. Super common. Always disappointing if it's green and you think it's going to be mint. Mint, yes. It's never mint. No one else understands that except for you. <laughs> Everyone else is like, no, but pistachio is so good. No, it's not. If you're expecting mint, but I got dark chocolate, which was like the darkest dark chocolate ice cream I have ever seen. It was almost black. It was like the color of coffee mm. with no cream in it. Wow. Yeah, it was really dark and it was really good. It wasn't too sweet. Um, so I got dark chocolate and pomegranate Ooh. and I was like pomegranate like could go either way, mm -hmm. but 
the, it was like the perfect balance of like sweet and tart and it had like pomegranate caramel in it almost like not uh-huh. syrup like it wasn't soft like syrup it was thicker yeah and so you got this like nice line of like really tangy pomegranate in the middle mm, it was really good we went back after that and I got pomegranate again because I was like <laughs> this is the best and I know I can't get it in America Abu Afif if you're ever in Erbil it's the place to go and it's cheap like Two scoops of ice cream was, like, maybe a thousand dinar, which is, like, a little bit over a dollar. Wow! Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I'm just gonna come here all the time. (laughs) Yeah. Like, maybe it's good that we don't live there. Right. If I... And it's it's really close to the school. Uh, Our teammates there were like, oh, yeah, we might have to come here after school from time to time. (laughs) So... You mentioned the school and mm-hmm. our teams there. How's all that going? How are they doing? Yeah, I think it's good. I mean, everybody has... Everybody was in a good mood because it's the holiday and they could mm-hmm. kind of relax. And the schools are growing. We visited the Dehook School, which they're building. They have been building a new school building. They started that my last year. And I think they're mostly done with it at this point. And it is really nice. (laughs) Like, really, really nice. Um, They've done a great job with it. And they're adding on Interbeal as well. Yeah, so they're growing and things things are good. Our teams are doing well. And I think almost everyone is coming back to the U.S. Except for one. One in Dehook who decided to stay which is all well and good. So I think we're going to get to see almost everybody this summer here in Nashville, which will be fun. Yeah. We love having our teams come visit us. We do. Hey, Hannah. Want to know a secret? Yeah, I love secrets. You can get Between a Rock and a Hard Place stickers. I can get stickers? Yeah. What do I have to do? You need to go to Instagram or Facebook and find the post about this episode. This one. And then comment with somebody else's name. Can I put your name? I mean, I guess you could if you really wanted to, but maybe somebody who doesn't already know about this podcast. Oh, I gotcha. Uh Uh-huh. I love stickers! I feel like we got to spend a good amount of time with almost everyone. Um, The team in Erbil probably the most. Mm Mm-hmm. Because uh, the team in Suli, the married couple, actually ended up driving to Erbil with us and flying to Turkey because um, they were going to do some visiting there. And then in Dehuk, we probably spent the most time in Dehuk. I ended up spending most of my time with my students mm-hmm. and John hanging out with some of his friends. Yeah, because our team there was busy with, I think, language learning and they were going on some trip somewhere. Well, it is picnic season. Right. Everybody goes and visits their village ancestor land and all that kind of stuff so a big part of the reason of your trip like you said was to visit our team members there and encourage them and Mm -hmm. make sure they're doing okay and help you know point out good things that maybe they don't see because they're too close to it um so that's part of their support obviously right yeah and you or john or other people are you know also calling them weekly Mm -hmm. what other parts of their support system are there sure i was actually really encouraged and i think john was to to see um the growth of the church not necessarily the kurdish church and i know that the kurdish church there is growing but um there's big expat churches in erbil and a hook 
that are really, really different from when I was there, which is, is great. Um, they're very much functioning as, as churches and not as ministry opportunities, Mm. uh, in that they want to support the people that are in their church as they work in the country, you know, offer them Bible studies. The church in Hook was doing a series on how to study your Bible, not as their main sermon series, but as like an extra class. People mm-hmm. could come in and do that, um, which I thought was really great. Yeah. We sat and talked with the pastor of the International Church in Erbil, and he is very passionate about supporting and encouraging and helping people be able to serve in Iraq to the best of their ability. And very much saying, like, we don't, we don't want to take your teammates who are serving in the schools out of that by mm-hmm. having them expend so much energy in the church. And he actually mentioned that one of our team members had been doing a lot in the church, and he was like, and she was sitting there when he said all of this, and he was like, and I feel like we kind of need to tell her to step back a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. she's almost doing too much. And I was like, whoa! Whoa! <laughs> that's so great! That's awesome! That's super encouraging. Yeah, so it's it was really neat to see how in both Erbil and Dehook, our teams are really being supported by a vibrant church body that mm. really didn't exist, you know, four years ago. Yeah. So that has been really neat. And, you know, both of them have dedicated pastors who are supported by, like, they have their own support network. Right. Um, so they're not expecting the people in the, their church to be their support network. Yeah, it was good. What was the funniest thing that happened on your trip? I had a lot of fun. I spent two days with uh, two of my students who are now in college. I had a lot of fun with them. And during that time, (laughs) one of them, for the first time, discovered the musical stylings of Queen. (laughs) And so we then spent the rest of our time together listening to Bohemian Rhapsody. Excellent. Over and over and over and over. (laughs) Oh, dear. And so it was kind of hilarious to me because she was just like, this is so great. I have to tell everyone about this band. And I'm like, you realize that, like, this is not, like, a secret thing. Like, there's this whole movie about them. So people know who who they are. But maybe not younger people in the Middle East. Uh, maybe, except every time we hung out with her friends and she was like, you have to listen to this song, and, like, started Bohemian Rhapsody, they were like, oh yeah, Queen, and I was like, oh. (laughs) I mean, I'm really glad you're enthusiastic about this, but it was also kind of a weird cultural, like, Mm. I don't know, the crossover of very classic rock and Kurdish people Uh, it it was just like not the soundtrack that anyone would have picked for a movie of that particular experience right it was a little bit of an out-of-body kind of like (laughs) i can't believe this is happening (laughs) um i feel like that kind of thing happens a lot though in travels to the middle east where things just never really fit our expectations right yeah no matter how well prepared you are for them i mean you're pretty prepared you used to live there Mm mm-hmm Right. Still a surprise. Yeah. But yeah, it was fun uh, kind of sharing that because I really like classic rock. And so 
introducing my students to some of some of the things that I like beyond Queen or <laughs> before Queen it was kind of it was fun to be able to listen to that and talk about it and answer some of their questions about like what is this song even about? And I was like, <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody? I have no idea. I don't know about that. I don't think anyone knows what this song is about. But this song, this song's about drugs. <laughs> I tried not to play any songs about drugs. Okay. We played a lot of Beach Boys. Nice. Which was also kind of weird to be like, you don't understand what the surfer culture is at all. But you get the like boppy happiness of classic Beach Boys stuff. When you finally made it back yes. to the U.S., what were your first thoughts and feelings? I was definitely glad to be home, mostly because I was ready to be back in a routine. Because mm. uh, traveling for 20 days and sleeping in a different bed basically every other night is not, like, my favorite thing to do. <laughs> I don't know that it's really anyone's favorite. Fair. I, it wasn't, like, I wasn't miserable by mm-hmm. any means. Like, I mm-hmm. definitely had a great trip. But it was nice to get back and be like, oh, I can sleep in my own bed. And I know what time I have to get up and go to work tomorrow morning. And uh, it was really great to be back in my home church. Mm-hmm. I think I had, I was definitely encouraged by the trip. Uh, it was encouraging for me to go and see that Life continues on there even though I'm not there, and people Mm -hmm. continue to grow even though I'm not, like, pouring into them in the way that I was when I was living there. Mm -hmm. And things are improving in a lot of ways that were unexpected. And so it felt like to go back and see everything be very positive after having lived there through ISIS and even going back and visiting, you know, I visited again with my dad while Isis was still kind of there, just to see the the change of attitude and see the resilience of the Kurds and their ability to bounce back from that. Mm, That's good. was very... I feel like we hear in the news about how everything is a disaster and, you know, everything is destruction. And and I'm sure that is true in some parts. Um, Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm sure that the destruction in Mosul is devastating. But I also know that people are trying to make it better um they are trying to put their lives back together like it's not worth abandoning Mm -hmm. um to them or to me yeah I think those were all kinds of things that I started to process back in the U.S. yeah when I had some time to like my life is on this track that I don't have to figure out every single day (laughs) so I have time to actually think about this Mm mm-hmm it was really nice, too. I didn't suffer too much from jet lag coming back. Yeah, I was surprised. I know. I was, too. I was just like, oh, I guess I'm okay, which has never happened to me before. I think I had one day where we were at work, and I was like, I'm really tired, and I think I just need to go home. But I had worked, like, half a day at least at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, like, the second day I was back. Thank you very much for joining us today, Hannah, and sharing about your trip. My pleasure, as always. I would love to do it again, but not for a while. <laughs> I like It was great, but it definitely takes a lot out of you to do four countries in 20 days. It's a lot. Yeah, that is a lot. If anyone wants to go, let me know. Send me an email. I'll make you fill out a bunch of forms and make sure you're not completely crazy.
just a little bit crazy. Yeah. But yeah, I think John and I both walked away thinking, yeah, we would do this again. We would bring people with us again. You can find us at Servant Group International on Facebook or Instagram or on our website at servantgroup.org. Yeah, and if you have a question that we haven't answered yet, send us an email or Facebook message. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Mm. Yes, we did warn them.